How does antimicrobial resistance impact Ontario's veal industry? And what are the best management practices for veal calves? Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the FAST podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Roach. This series is brought to you by the Farmed Animal Antimicrobial Stewardship Initiative, or FAST for short. This series explores how antimicrobial resistance impacts livestock production, what antimicrobial stewardship looks like in daily practice, and the different views on challenges and potential solutions to reducing our reliance on antimicrobials moving forward. Today we're speaking with Dr. Marissa Hake, a veal veterinarian based in the United States, responsible for the care of over 25,000 cattle. She's also known for her popular social media platforms in which she aims to educate the public on modern veal production. So, let's get into it. Well, Marissa, it's a pleasure to be able to chat with you over the uh, the internet today and uh, and uh, learn a little bit more about your perspective on you know, veal production and what it's like to be uh, a veterinarian working in this uh, this area. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, I think you, your name uh, will be familiar to many out there, but we've got a, a sort of a pretty broad listenership. So uh, I wonder if you could just give us a, a little brief introduction to yourself, you know, where you are today um, and what your perspective is coming to the issue from, you know, of antimicrobial resistance and stewardship in the veal industry. Yes, um, I am a staff veterinarian for Midwest Veal and uh, Strauss Veal Feeds. So I manage company-owned calves in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, but mostly in Indiana. Um, And so our company at any given time, depending on the year, we have around 25,000 veal calves on feed. Um, And so I'm responsible for obviously writing prescriptions and the health and management of those calves. Um, And so every single day, you know, we're trying to balance using antibiotics judiciously and making sure that our calves are healthy and also being profitable for our company. So we're always trying to juggle those balls, just like any other company. Um, And so, you know, we're constantly monitoring our calves to make sure that we're using these antibiotics in the the right way and then learning new ways to mitigate their use Um, because going forward that helps us as a business and it also helps our calves be healthy and that's what's most important to us. For sure. How long have you been doing that? Um, I started in 2015, so almost five years. Nice. Um, Were you, prior to to getting into practice, was veal something that you were passionate about or interested in getting in? It's, it's, you know, especially in Canada, we don't always see a lot of people getting into to veal, which is exciting to me that you're, you're spending a lot of time in it. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it wasn't on my radar, to be honest. Um, in the United States, it's a pretty small industry, right. to be honest. Um, but I was always interested in young stock, and I really liked the calf side of dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, people always think there's this big difference between veal, and they're not. They're just calves, right? And so it, I, I think it applies both sides. And so it was a, it was a good fit for me. Nice. Um, well, like I said, it's exciting to have someone who's passionate about the industry in, in many different ways uh, be involved. And so, uh, you know, excited to hear your thoughts on and insights on some of these things. Um, so if we kind of jump into sort of the meat of, of the conversation a bit and, um, you know, antimicrobial or antibiotic resistance is a big point of concern. And it's been a big point of discussion for a long time in li- livestock agriculture. And it seems to be growing more and more. And, and so... 
I guess the question I like to ask veterinarians in particular is, you know, how do you see resistance affecting veal production or uh, the practice of veterinary medicine? Is it something that you're being faced with when it comes to making decisions about treatment of animals? Is it something that we should be concerned about? Absolutely. I think that we should always be trying to reduce the use of our antibiotics, right? And coming up with mitigation strategies. Um, one, because antibiotic resistance is a real thing. We, we, we know that. Um, two, our consumers are pushing this, right? So our consumers want to know how much antibiotics we're using and how we're using them. Um, and we're learning as a food industry that we have to be transparent. We have to be able to show why we're doing things and how we're doing things. And, and so um, I think having a veterinarian and consumer involved is, is our best way to you know, come up with a plan for our industry um, that's going to fit both those things where we, we have the welfare of the animal and you know, the consumer happy about how we're using those and also fighting antibiotic resistance. Um, in 2017, when we had our veterinary feed directive pass, um, through that program, it put more of the power of antibiotic use into the veterinarian's hand in the mm -hmm. United States. Um, some people weren't happy about that move. I think it was a fantastic move for our country to do. Um, and it really helped us think about how we're using these antibiotics, especially in a group setting where we're, we're treating multiple animals, right? Not just the individual animal care. Um, and I think that really helped shift our paradigm here. Of, okay, are we over treating these animals? Are we overusing these antibiotics? Yep. Because now we really have to think about what we're using. And that was, a, a, I think, a good move for us. Nice. And I mean, in Canada, we've recently had a similar change. It's really promoting um, the veterinarian client patient relationship and, and a closer, um, not just oversight, but more, like I said, more discussion and building a real relationship to to determine, you know, how can we best use these, these uh, like I say, tools in the toolbox, um, so to speak. Have you seen relationships change and build and, and, and grow that's allowed you to, to help guide your clients in, in not just antimicrobial decision making, but many other aspects of the farm? Absolutely. So the broad overview with the VFD, the veterinary feed directive, was that anything that goes in the feed, um, so anything going in the milk and or the feed would fall under that. Um, and they said, okay, no more extra label drug use, meaning if that label doesn't have that exact species and that exact rate, and you can't, you can't, you can't go off the, off the label. Right. Yep. Um, and so, so that made it a little bit clearer that we, okay, this is how we have to run it. You know, there's no going off, off these, um, which was great. So we're really thinking about how we're going to run these, if, if it's the right time to run it. Um, and then on the flip side too, is. To legally write that VFD, a veterinarian has to see those animals. Mm -hmm. So that that we're actually looking at those animals, we're actually getting on the farm and having a relationship. And I think that just that where we have to go see the animals, even if the farmer's like, what, I don't want a farm call, whatever, you know, but it's where, hey, legally, we have to do this. That opens the door for those discussions. Hey, you know what we could do here? We could, we could improve ventilation or we could do something else or we could background these calves a little better or something like that. It's mm -hmm. opening the door for those conversations, which I think has been the best thing for the, for the VFD is making sure that we're getting back out onto the farms. Um, and it's not just a phone call, right? Totally. No, we to see those animals. Um, on the veal side, it's a little bit different. So when that happened for our guys, there are really no labeled antibiotics that would fall under the VFD for us. So we have no antibiotics that we can run in the milk and we have no antibiotics that we can run in the feed right. legally because we don't have any labels. 
Um, the tricky thing for veal, and I don't know if it's like this in Canada, um, we have mums, which is minor use and minor species, which it helps you be able to use these in, in animals that would not have a label. Right. Well, we're still a major species, <laughs> so they won't let us use the mums thing like, hey, we can't get a label. So we're, we're kind of fell through the cracks there as far as VFDs that we can actually use mm-hmm. in, in the industry. Um, and so that's really taken us back and been like, okay, what can we do? We, we can't put anything in the milk. We can't put anything in the feed, you know, for these group treatments, what's our options. It's going to be, have to be water. You can still run extra label use in water. Um, so it's really put veterinarians back out on the veal farms of talking about, okay, how are we going to accomplish this? What are our options and what can we do so we don't even have to use them? Right. Yep. So, so, uh, getting right into that conversation then, um, what do you see as some of sort of the low hanging fruit opportunities for producers, uh, who need to, to, or are interested in reducing use and still managing, um, the level of, of, um, mort- morbidity and mortality they can expect on, on an average farm. Right. So for at least on the veal side is sourcing your calves, where are your calves coming from? Um, so for us, we, we get mostly farm direct calves. Um, we've set in place a traceability program. So we have a, a two layer thing. Um, we have traceability from the, we can tell what calf that dairy that calf was born on. Um, we have a tag system mm-hmm. and we can tell that the dr- truck driver that picked up that calf. So we have an accountability system. Okay, driver, why did you pick up this calf? It's clearly not fit for transport and dairy farmer. Hey, we're tracking total proteins and checking for colostrum intake on our end and health in the first two weeks from the dairy. And we're giving that accountability back to the dairy farm. So that's helped us a lot. And this, you know, our highest risk of death loss on our farms is the first 10 to 14 days. We know that's when our, our biggest risk area is obviously. So we're trying to get that back to our sources and really starting with a good calf that had good colostrum that has a, it doesn't have a nice dip navel that's not infected. And that's going to get us past that highest risk point where we're going to be using the most antibiotics. Yep. Yep. I like that a lot. Uh, and similar focus here in terms of trying to put that onus back on it, but can be a challenge. Um, so, so what does that look like in, in terms of trying to, to ensure that those calves on those, uh, what I would expect are a large number of, of dairy farms, of source farms, um, you know, what, how do we get them to, to be treating, um, our, you know, first of all, male calves as equals, uh, compared to heifers. Um, and, and then, and I say that because we know that that's not all always, you know, from, from the research and from experience, that's not always the case. Um, but what kind of conversations are you having and, and maybe are you incentivizing them? Is there a price difference that, that comes into play when it comes to the economics of, of purchase, uh, purchasing calves from different sources? So I have a little bit of a moral dilemma with this, um, because I truly believe that every calf deserves colostrum and a dip navel and a good start at life. I don't think that gender, um, has anything to do with it. And it's, and it's our, um, yeah, our moral right as dairy farmers to provide that to our calves. Yep. Um, totally agree. With that being said, I understand the economics of dairying, right? So um, luckily, here's how we kind of deal with it on our end. Um, we've had a longstanding relationship with our dairies, um, which has helped us kind of ride out some of these markets. And I encourage others to have a good longstanding source because um, when I started, Bull calves in the United States were $500 per head for a a newborn calf. And that newborn baby bull calf actually had more 
income for our, our dairy farms than the lactating dairy cow for her entire lactation. Yep. So they put a lot of value into these calves, right? And so that's when, you know, we, we made a lot of these relationships with, okay, we're not going to give you a premium for these calves, but this is what we expect. So now we're down to $10 bull calves, right? And yep. so now our quality of calf has gone down because say they get short on colostrum. They don't want to put $30 into a $10 bull calf. And right. I completely understand that i get the economics of it um but it's this relationship that we've had okay we wrote out 500 dollars bull calf prices with you it's time for you to write out 10 dollars bull calf prices with you but keep a, a, a consistent calf you know um and so if you can manage a market like that where you have the relationship i think that's the best way you can do it um but we need to figure out our markets here in the united states we can't be having these giant swings with these animals um because it just affects the quality of the calf yep. um And what we're waiting for, and I think will help us, is um, our dairy industry to kind of rebound and stabilize. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've had probably four very, very hard years um, where you can't blame the dairy farmers for cutting back on labor and cutting back on expenses and cutting back on dry cow rations and vaccines. We get it, you know. So um, once I think our dairy um, industry rebounds and we can kind of stabilize and we can talk about, okay, here's our standard for our calves. Um, and, and really, and really have a consistent calf, if that makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot of factors that go into it, and, and you have to be understanding of that. But at the end of the day, we have to do what's best for the calves, and you know that's coming back from the consumer as well. They're very concerned about how these calves are treated. Um, I, I, I thought it was really interesting. One of it really stuck with me is we were doing a tour of one of our farms, and they talked about how um, one of these very prominent ice cream uh, makers, I won't name names in the United States, when they do tours of their dairy farms, they spend almost all the time with the calves. And when asked, like, why are you not, you know, looking at teat and leg lesion scores in the in a parlor? Why are you not looking at the cows that are actually making your product? They said, our consumers are concerned about the calves. And so this is, this is what they said they're concerned about. So this is where we spend our time. So I think more of that mentality is understood by the dairy people they're going to understand that these calves are a priority for their consumers and it needs to be a priority for them. Very long-winded. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, I think that's well said. Uh, and I think I like how you, well, and I know that you um, personally and professionally have a lot of uh, a vested interest in that that um, social media presence, that you know engagement of, of people throughout the supply chain. And I think that's important. It's not... Um, how do I say this? There's many changes that happen in our in the agricultural industries, not just in veal, that occur as a result of consumer perception or pressure. Um, and and in some cases, we perceive that to not always be um, the best way to make changes. But the reality is, is that they are our collective clients. They are our consumers. And so I think it's important to consider where they're you know where they come from, and that does translate into uh, challenges or dilemmas, as you put it, on on farms, right? The the economics of running a business and, and managing um, animals and the costs that come with, you know, with managing the health and welfare of animals um, and operating at a loss to do the right thing, the thing that we want to do. Of course, every farmer wants to make sure that their animals are, are well-fed and, and healthy, but uh, to continue to operate a loss can be a real challenge. So it's, it is a real dilemma. Um, 
so thinking about it again from the from the veal producer perspective, what are some of those sta- you mentioned standards? What are some of those standards that you expect um, source farms to to sort of hold up? So you mentioned uh, that every cat uh, calf gets uh, colostrum, good quality colostrum in a timely manner would usually be sort of the, some of the expectations we'd have. Um, you mentioned some stuff about navels as well. Are there other standards that we're, you're looking for? Are you expecting your your source farms to to uh, look at total proteins or anything like that? Is there any more expectation on them or is is that you know more the onus on you once you've had that conversation yeah i mean for us that is the basic standards if they can get us uh, an immune system and a, a nice dry clean navel and you know proper nutrition while they're on their farm that's really all i can ask from them i believe um and then our on our end i think you know us pulling total proteins and us um you know checking iggs and then also um, giving them back health data. So we have a system where, you know, if, if their calves are dying within 24 to 48 hours of arrival on our farm, we have a big issue. That's mm-hmm. a big issue for us. And we're going back to that dairy and saying, this is unacceptable. That's not on us. And, you know, either you lose your source, you know, sometimes you, we don't want to be tough. We want to have these relationships, but going back and saying, we have to do something different. Something needs to change or else we're not buying the calves. Um, I don't think every veal farmer can do that and trace that back, but I think we need to get there and put some of that back onto the original person with the calf because that whole send them to the auction and kind of wash your hands clean of it isn't fair. And we're in this industry together. So veal is closely linked to dairy. You know, we're all in this animal agriculture. And if they can help us reduce antibiotic use on the veal side, that's going to reflect greatly back on them as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I like that closing the feedback loop and, and making sure that, you know, it, it's quite possible. If, I mean, if we're experiencing these issues and not bringing it back to the source farms, how can we expect any changes uh, to occur? So that means first measurement on our side and then the second to, to communicate that back. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, once once calves are into the veal facility, do you see any other opportunities short of, of um, antimicrobial therapies that um, can be advantageous in, in reducing morbidity and, and mortality in the farm? Yeah. Um, facility design, this is a big one for us, is, is figuring out how to stop the disease spreading through the facility, right, mm-hmm. and affecting calves. So whether it's, um, you know separating the calves so they can't touch individual pens, um, ventilation. Uh, so a lot of our veal farms are multi-room. So there will be multi-ages. Um, we operate all in, all out, which is great. But then we have this, they're moving from an older room, say, to a younger room of calves. So this type of um, understanding of biosecurity, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, is lacking in the veal industry. It's lacking in the cattle industry, right? We, we haven't caught up with swine and poultry yet. No. Maybe we will someday. But um, And so it's having that understanding that the spread of disease through the room and how we can mitigate um, spreading it, would I think, is one huge thing for the veal industry that we can really, really touch on. Um, and the other thing is ventilation. So most of our facilities are indoors. Um, it's great for our employees. A lot of times it's great for our calves. Um, but ventilation is one of our biggest issues um, is making sure we're getting fresh air, to, fresh, clean air to those calves. Yep. Yep. No, I think you've hit on all the big points there uh, for sure. Um, 
One comment uh, or, or question I'm, I'm kind of interested in from your, you know, your unique perspective on this is, you know, given the amount of engagement that you've done, uh, particularly on social media, do you have any lessons learned or um, you mentioned some things that have stuck with you from from tours or, or experiences with consumers? Is there anything you think that that producers out there should know or anything that's again stuck with you that you've heard from consumers that sort of changed the way you think or approach um you know health management in in veal so (laughs) the social media thing can be scary Mm -hmm. you know sharing how you're raising your animals how you're treating them why you do certain things can be really hard um i I think farmers are farmers because they're kind of no nonsense people, you know, we're nose to grindstone. I just want to do my job and, and, and not be almost persecuted from, you know, these from consumers. And so, um, but I think that has to change. And so going back to antibiotic use is this is a consumer concern. And so if what we're doing, we can't be proud of, and we can't, open our doors, our barn doors and show the world how we're doing it, then maybe we should be questioning how we're doing it. Right. And it's not to say that we don't need to do some education to obviously inform our consumers of different things, but um, having, having this mentality of, okay, my consumer wants to know, I need to show them and, and I need to be having that in the back of my mind when I'm making decisions is a kind of a paradigm shift for farmers. And I understand why it's scary. I'm on social media. I get attacked all the time. It's not fun, you know, and, it, yeah. and, it, and it, it, you can take it personally, that's for sure. So, but I think you have to be in that space and you have to be able to put yourself out there because if you don't, someone else is going to, right. And they're going to tell kind of our story of how we're raising veal calves in the U S and Canada when, um, we should be the ones that are telling that story. Um, and so we, you know, we do tours on our farm. We've had bloggers come, we've had, you know, other veterinarians, um, food industry people come out and once they're on your farm and they can see why you do things, um, you know, why do you have calves uh, with a pit below them? Well, you know, this calf is drinking almost two gallons of milk a day. So a lot of this liquid manure, we have to have a pit and, you know, we care about the environment. So we want to be able to maintain that and then spread it out into the fields as needed and variable rate. So you can have this conversation of why you do certain things and how it links back to say the environment or antibiotic use or all of these things that tie in and then they get it right. That makes sense to them. Oh, I didn't think about what the manure would be like. I understand why they can't just be out on pasture, you know? Oh, I understand how you deliver milk. So if you can get them on your facility and explain how you do things and how you deliver things, it really, it really makes sense to them. And that's what I think we need to be doing as an industry and, and, you know, explaining why we're using certain antibiotics and why we use, you know, X, Y, and Z. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. I think it's important to tell our side of the story because if we don't, uh, like you say, I mean, someone else may tell uh, the story for us. Um, and, and there's a lot of, complexity to to any sort of farm uh, and they're all different um, we're all finding tailored strategies or t- tailored ways to apply the sort of best practices that that we know of so it's important to tell that story 
Um, and I think that's, I'm excited, uh, you know, by your effort and commend you for that kind of effort. Cause I it can be very challenging. It can be lonely at times too, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> there's not enough of us doing that, uh, trying to get that message out, um, and be proactive, of, you know, and telling, uh, about the thing that I think a lot of consumers maybe just don't realize is that, yes, I mean, this is a business and yes, there are economic uh, decisions to be made, but farmers are also farmers because they love animals and they love what they do. And, and I think that's, uh, important that we don't forget that um because no one's here um you know excited about the fact that you know uh they're going to lose some animals we're all trying to do our best to make sure that we you know every animal has the best chance possible um so so with some of i guess to summarize some of some of that content marissa um if you were to leave uh producers with one piece of advice is there one sort of resounding thing. I mean, I, I guess as I say that, I expect you're going to say something about source dairy farms uh, <laughs> as the focus, because um, it does seem like such a such a, a huge opportunity to get calves uh, started on, on the right foot. Um, but what would your piece of advice be for producers out there who are, are thinking about how they can reduce use and, and still maintain health and welfare of their animals? Yes, I always go back to the um, saying, hopefully I get it right, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of... Uh, I can't remember. You know what I'm talking sure. about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we don't use ounces here. No. That's right. <laughs> um, so is this this whole mindset of preventative medicine and making sure that you're starting out with a good calf and a clean barn and you know, it's stuff that you don't see and it's a little bit thankless. Um, I think it goes back to veterinarians, honestly, because we loved this fire engine medicine, right? You had a problem here's this antibiotic to solve it, use it, it works. And then you're happy with us, right? So you kind of get a, an attaboy. But now as, as veterinarians are, are coming out, and I think it's the younger generation of veterinarians, especially, is we're like, hey, let's do this preventive. Let's come out with a good vaccine program. Let's come up with source calves that are great. And then you don't have these problems, right? And it's a little bit thankless because they're not going to call you and say, hey, all those things you made me do, uh, they're just going to say it's a good group of calves. Right. And, and so it's gotta be those forward thinking things, those early things before even the calves arrive, how you're getting the calves um, is the, I, I really think the only way we're going to solve this issue with antibiotic use, because if, if we continue to rely on them, we're just, we're just going to go backwards, I think. So that would be my, <laughs> my, uh, my uh, takeaway. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good one. Uh, and it, it really speaks to, like you say, the challenge of managing disease is, uh, is often invisible, uh, apart from the labor that goes into doing it. Uh, and, and it can be a whole host of factors that come together to cause disease or to prevent disease. And, and sometimes they are subtle. Um, but it, yeah, it comes down to, to looking at it more proactively and, uh, take the preventative approach. So protocols, more consultations with veterinarians, more discussion and thinking about some of the things that we do that may, um, expose calves uh, who are at higher risk when they're younger, certainly, and maybe don't come from a, a farm where they've been, you know, um, afforded all of the, the opportunities to build that immune system the way we'd like to see that, uh, that ultimately cause disease and challenge for the, for the herd. So, um, no, I think that's well said. And, and Marissa, I really appreciate the time, um, you've, you've taken to give us and share some of your insights. Um, really good work you're doing, uh, you know, uh, in the States. And I think it'll have some influence for us up here as well. Great. Well, you guys are basically like Michigan, We're Ontario. Around, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Marissa. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. 
Remember to check back with this podcast as we're going to continue putting up new podcasts on this issue. And we're also working on other tools and resources for both veterinarians and producers, all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. You can find these tools and resources at www.amstewardship.ca. FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, ACER Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals, prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for policy and regulatory changes, and ultimately to preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening.